What we've got today is justification by faith. Obviously, it starts with Abraham, and Paul then reinforces it in Romans. Something you might be interested in, this is the first use of the word amen in Scripture. When it says Abraham believed God and it was counted into righteousness, the word believed is amen. So that's the beginning. What I want to talk to you about is what justification by faith means, what it means today, what it meant then. And I will give you a little clue. It means the same thing today as it meant then. That hasn't changed. I was reading an article by my favorite Calvinist. For those of you who know I'm not a Calvinist. The guy is very good. He's a very good writer, brilliant, a lot of fun. He was talking about biblical inerrancy. And what he was saying is most people who are believers in God say that the Bible is inerrant, but they don't believe it at all. They just say that. What does he mean? Lots of parts of the Bible seem to be contradictory. Poster child for that is in Proverbs. In one proverb it says that your wealth is a strong city, a fortress. And in another proverb it says you're really stupid if you trust in wealth. And for those of you who have been through the Proverbs uh, course on Tuesday night, you understand exactly what's going on. For those of you who don't, come see me at lunch and I'll explain. But the point is, there are lots of things in the Bible that appear on the surface to be contradictory. And one of the things that our culture does, and especially those who are hostile to Scripture or hostile to Christians, is they will find all of these difficult points. And when you talk to them, they will confront you with the difficult points. I can remember when we were back in the Episcopal Church, my dear wife did an exercise class with the pastor's wife. And when we started getting into this and we started reading it, she asked my wife sarcastically, so what part of Leviticus is your favorite part of the Bible? <laughs> and we have an answer. The answer was Leviticus 23. But the point is, she would have told you that the Bible is inerrant, but she may have read Leviticus at one time in her life, but it was certainly not part of her scriptural kit. Another one that will happen. So, what does the Bible say about how I should treat slaves? Um, six days, really? You believe six days? There's all sorts of stuff in the Bible that our culture finds ridiculous, and the point is believers find it embarrassing. So, turns out the Bible is sexist. It is, by the way. The Bible is sexist. And so when people are confronted with the sexism in the Bible, believers sort of wilt and go away. Or they'll say something, well, that was in the Old Testament and it's all done away with Jesus now. What most of you know, my wife knows almost every song that was ever written. She has a song for every occasion. I have found a song that she didn't know that I did. There's a moment of small but intense pride on my part. The song was written in 1957. You could have heard it performed all the way through the 70s, maybe. And the name of the song is Plastic Jesus. Any of you older folks remember Plastic Jesus? Ah, Mark remembers Plastic Jesus. The lyrics are, I don't care if it rains or freezes, as long as I got my Plastic Jesus riding on the dashboard of my car. And for somebody who could sing, it's actually kind of catchy. Going 90, I'm not scary, because I got the Virgin Mary. 
riding on the dashboard of my car. What I will tell you is a great many believers have a plastic Jesus. Not literally, but theologically. And I will tell you that not only does a plastic Jesus not scare Satan, he doesn't convict atheists, and furthermore, he can't save. So let's talk about this plastic Jesus, and let's talk about what Scripture actually says. Now, one of the things that happens, which is kind of fun, is when you confront people with the contradictions or the uncomfortable things in Scripture, the first place that they'll do is they'll scurry away and say, well, that was the Old Testament, this is the New Testament. Well, let's think about that a minute. Let's talk about slaves. Well, that was the Old Testament. Have you read the parable of the unforgiving servant? Well, refresh your memory here. The unforgiving servant, the master has given the money, and one of the servants, I don't remember how many talents he's got, but he can't pay it back. And by the way, your Bible that says servant, what it really means is slave, the master says, I want the money. And the guy says, I can't do it. And the master says, all right, I'll forgive you. And then the slave turns around and goes to one of his fellow slaves and says, you owe me a much smaller amount. And he grabs him by the stacking swivel and starts shaking him and says, give me your money. And the master, when he sees that, his first reaction is he is going to sell this unforgiving slave and his family. But then he changes his mind. And it says instead that he will be sent to the jailers. And again, wrong translation. The word there is actually torturers. And it turns out that really high quality torture equipment is expensive. So in biblical times, what they had was mobile torturers that would come around to your place and get your slaves back in line for you. Sort of like the dog washing things that come in a van and they drive up to your house and take your dog and suds him up and trim him and clip him. You know, they had mobile torturers. And furthermore, if you say, well, Yeshua was just talking in the cultural context of the time. That's all done away with. Actually, no. What it says at the end is, if you don't forgive your brother, I'll do the same thing to you. So that sort of conflicts with our plastic Jesus. Plastic Jesus would never do something like that. Real Yeshua would. Belief is important. And when it says... Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham knew the God that he was believing. He understood what he was getting into. Now, the thing about belief is belief implies action. In other words, if you believe something, that means that you will act upon your belief. And, of course, James says that if you believe something but you don't ever act on it, it says faith without works is dead. Everybody said simultaneously because you all know that passage of scripture, right? Now, it's important that everybody understand that God is not who you think he is. God is who he says he is. And if what he says about himself doesn't line up with your plastic Jesus, guess who's wrong? Furthermore, God is consistent. God has kept his promises in the past. What Paul is saying in Romans, we didn't read it all, but what Paul is saying is 
God did this in the past. He was faithful to his word. He will continue to be faithful to his word. And the things that he said he will do. But if you have a misconception about his word or about who he is, he has absolutely no obligation to act on your misconception. So you need to get your conception of who this guy, Yeshua, is lined up with what he and his father say about him in Scripture. And once those two beliefs are lined up, then you can take it to the bank because he will, in fact, do what he said he would do. But the problem with a lot of contemporary Christianity is they look at the hard parts of the Bible and they say, well, that's done away with, or grace does covers that, or, you know, whatever. And they sort of slide by that stuff and don't read it and don't pay attention to it and don't believe it. So what they then have is this plastic Jesus that they're worshiping, and then they get all upset when this plastic Jesus doesn't come through for them. He has no obligation to come through for you if what you're expecting is not what he says you'll do. And there's a lot of romanticism. I had a friend. It's been 20 years. He was dying. And I was talking to him on the telephone. He was maybe in Virginia and I was here in Colorado. I don't remember where we were, but uh, he was talking to me on the phone. And he was not a believer. And I was talking to him and trying to help him as he was dying and so forth. And what I discovered is he had a Sunday school understanding of Jesus. And a Sunday school understanding of Jesus is very appropriate for a Sunday school kid. You start off easy. And for children, you give them doses that they can take. But if your understanding of Yeshua stops at Sunday school, what you're going to wind up with is a plastic Jesus. Because he is far more complicated and far more rich and far more powerful than anything that is taught in Sunday school. And appropriately. I mean, it's not appropriate to teach Sunday school kids that kind of stuff. And what happens in the body of Christ is we all started off at Sinai. And from Sinai, we started splitting. Happened really soon. In fact, it happened while Moses was still up on the mountain. Some of us went over and made a golden calf. So when everybody's standing there together at Sinai, everybody is clear. Everybody knows who this God is. Everybody has an understanding. But as soon as the fire and smoke go away, we start to go in different directions. And today we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different denominations, both of Christianity and Judaism. And what happens is people run up against parts of Scripture that they don't like. There's parts of Scripture I don't like. And what they do when they run up against pieces of Scripture that they don't like is they will develop a doctrine. And what that doctrine will do will give them a way to shade that part of Scripture that they don't like and concentrate on the part they do like. In other words, they make a plastic Jesus. Happens all the time. And it's really hard as human beings to avoid that. One of my favorite quotes from Mark Twain is, I don't worry about the parts of the Bible I don't understand. The parts that I do understand scare me enough. And so what I'm suggesting to you, as you go out in the world, you're going to be confronted, and you all are, with parts of our culture which mocks parts of Scripture. 
Male and female, he created them. Oh, well, no, no, we get to decide. This is how you treat your slaves. Well, no, no. And by the way, there are answers for all of these apparent contradictions. Some of them require some digging and some of them require some prayer and some thought, but those answers are there. But if you got the plastic Jesus on the dashboard of your car and you're driving along at 90 miles an hour and you're feeling safe, I'm suggesting to you he doesn't have any obligation to keep you from wrecking because he doesn't say he has such an obligation. Now, one of the things that, that I've sort of led off with is society, especially without the anchor of Scripture, drifts all over the place. And what people do is they come up with things that they believe which are really nothing more than fashion. Take, for example, climate change. I mean, we can't even affect the weather tomorrow. The idea that we are changing the entire planet around is it's absurd. I mean, just from an engineering point of view. But it's socially popular. And people believe it fiercely. And they'll fight you about it. But let's take sexism. As I say, the Bible is thoroughly sexist. And so when your friend, feminist friend, masculine friend, confronts you and says, I don't believe that, the question that you have to ask is, what authority do you have for your belief that is greater than the authority of Scripture? In other words, I believe what I believe on the authority of Scripture. What's your authority? And what it amounts to usually is, well, I just like it that way. And again, don't get me wrong, they have people in authority that they have come to trust who will reinforce their beliefs. So I've got a college professor that says this. I've got a law professor that says this. So there are people who are in authority that will reinforce those beliefs. And what I'm suggesting to you is what you need to stand on is the authority of Scripture, which means you need to know it. And you need to know it all. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And you cannot flinch from the hard places. Because the Bible's full of them. Remember, he created the universe. He's the one who decides what is good. He's the one who decides what is right. He's the one who decides what is just. He's the one who justifies you when you believe him. And by the way, when it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, what it says was Abraham was convinced that what God said was going to happen was going to happen, and he acted on that basis. He ordered his life based on what God told him to do. That's what justified him. And so when you get people who hang out in Romans, and I love Romans, no problem with Romans at all, when you get people who hang out in Romans, they will get right up to their eyeballs in grace. Properly so. But in order to understand what's going on, you've got to hang out in James. Because James also talks about justification by faith. And he says it differently than Paul does in Romans. And so what you have to do is you have to spend time in both places, and you've got to harmonize those two things. Because if you just spend time in the parts that you find comfortable, you will wind up with a plastic Jesus. It's the way it works. And as I say... Satan will not flee from a plastic Jesus. A plastic Jesus will not save you. A plastic Jesus will not convince your unbelieving friend of anything. So let's take the plastic Jesus off the dashboard of our car and let's learn what the man and God, Yeshua, is telling us. Et ha 